Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Cherry Becker's Technology Podcast. My name is Christel Cambray. I'm a tax partner in the DC Group Technology Group. I'm joined today by my favorite group, the Tax Credits and Incentives Group, to talk about cash savings that your technology company could benefit from, particularly in its early stages or experiencing growth. These are cash savings from credits from the government, so free money. I'd like to welcome Marty Caraman, who leads Cherry Becker's Tax Credits and Incentives Advisory Practice, as well as Melinda Young and Vivian Kors, both directors of the same group. I've worked with all three of these, and between them, they know everything there is to know about any federal or state tax credit. Uh, they've wooed many of my clients in the past, and I'm sure you'll be wooed with what they have to say today as well. Um, go ahead and take it away, Marty. Hey, Chris, thanks so much. Re really happy to be here today. Um, and uh, we love working with you, and we've encountered quite a number of issues uh, specific to the tech space uh, where credits and incentives are both uh, an issue, shall we say, and also an opportunity. So, um, yeah, I think we'll uh, we'll take it away, and I think Melinda and Vivian will have more to say to you. Great, great. I, I know specifically for Melinda, there there there's there's one item that we've been working on that I didn't know about this, and I'm, I'm pretty, you know well-versed in credits, if you will, not not to the level of any of you, but, but somewhat. I, I can, you know, talk about it and understand most of it. But, you know, in speaking with Melinda, that there's something new that I learned not too long ago that I think is, is very valuable, and that's these these state or federal benefits that are allowed for technology companies or really any company that's experiencing staffing issues. And, you know, right now, the way the world is right now, I think that's most companies, right, who are experiencing staffing issues. And and to understand and learn how the government can actually help you with these was was very interesting to me and also my clients. And so, Melinda, if you're able to speak to some of that, I know that's something that many people would be interested in hearing about. Yeah, absolutely. There has been a big migration of startup tech companies moving from Silicon Valley to other parts of the country. And just to name a few, Austin, Denver, Atlanta, New York City, and Boston are the top destinations. Unfortunately, all these places offer some type of tax credit for job creation, and they also offer financial and tax incentives if you, if you negotiate with the state and local government in advance. Just to give you some examples, Colorado offers an enterprise zone program. It covers about 85% of the state. And the benefits include $1,100 job tax credit. If the company also offer health insurance, then pay at least 50% of the benefit. And you can also get a $1,000 credit for these employee, and that's available for the first two years. And also there's a 12% training credit for onboarding these new employees. Another great example is a startup New York program. If you partner with a local college, the program offers tax-free zones. And what that is, is it waives all business taxes including corporate tax, sales tax, property tax, or even income tax for both company and employee for 10 years. As you can see, all these are great tax saving opportunities that can provide significant value to startup tech companies, especially they're strapped for cash. Yeah, but that's 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 good stuff. And there's a lot there. I know that gets complicated, but um, you know, another thing that we've talked about too in the past that that I think a lot of our listeners would be interested in hearing about it, not to put you on the spot, but you know, since the pandemic, there are a lot of companies now doing remote work, right? And so with the remote work comes a lot of opportunities and 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 also states reacting to having employees and nexus and things of that nature. Can you speak to maybe some of the incentives or, or, or maybe some high level points that you've seen from your clients about remote work since the pandemic? Yeah, that has been a very interesting topic for both the companies and the states. Initially, when COVID first started, Everyone was trying to figure out where the employees were. 
Initially, the states were requiring you to live within 60 to 90 miles from the office to qualify for these incentives. Since then, the states have really relaxed on the rules quite a bit. As long as the company has a registered location in the state and the employees are either resident of the state or paying withholding tax, they will be eligible for these benefits. In technology industry, have always been on top priority for many states because they're usually bringing high paying jobs, which equate to higher consumer spending and a bigger impact to the local economy. To summarize it all, if you're creating at least 25 new jobs at a single location, offering health insurance and paying average county wage, we can try to negotiate with the state and local government to see if you qualify for any incentives. But keep in mind, the negotiation must be done prior to making any public announcements or putting any job posting on your, web, on your website. And Melinda, that, that, that's interesting. So is that for companies just with remote workers or, uh, or, or do you also have to be headquartered there or can it, can it work just for remote workers as well? It doesn't have to be just remote workers, headquarters, non-headquarters. As long as you're expanding in the states, you may qualify for incentives. That's that's really interesting, Linda. Thank you. I mean, always a wealth of knowledge there. I, I've learned more about credits the last couple of months from you than, than from anyone in a while. So thank you so much for that. Um, you know, that the other big credit, I think, that a lot of people have heard of and one that, that I'm well versed in and, and it affects many technology companies. And if, if you're a technology company and you're not benefiting from this, um, even if someone's told you don't qualify, I think you should look into it or have Vivian or Marty kind of step in and take a take a fresh alive look at it is the research and development credit. And I know, Vivian, this is right up your alley. This is something that you do a lot of. Are you able to speak to it from a from a pure technology company standpoint? Absolutely. I feel like nowadays when people hear tech, they immediately think of the R&D tax credit, which is great. There is a lot of familiarity um, of this benefit because it is it is quite generous from the government. And a lot of times people think, oh, I have to be doing state of the art, getting a patent for something in order to qualify for the credit. That's not the case at all. And it's definitely worthwhile to have a professional take a look at it to make sure you're not missing anything. Um, there are also definitely exciting news that's happening in this arena that people should be aware of. Starting in 2023 tax years, qualified small businesses can get up to $500,000 in R&D tax credits to offset their federal payroll withholding tax. So this used to be 250K, but now that benefit has doubled. So that's definitely exciting. Um, in addition, like well, the good one thing that we need to know is that it, you need to be a qualified small business in order to utilize your R&D tax credit to offset your federal payroll withholdings as opposed to your income tax. So a qualified small business are really companies that have under $5 million in gross receipts in the tax year and no more than five years generating gross receipts, including the current tax year. So this election can only be made on a timely filed return, including extensions. So it's always better to start looking at your R&D tax credits sooner rather than later. I know there's a lot of things that you guys, startup companies have on their plates and R&D tax credit should be, should be something to evaluate um, in the early stages. So you're not missing out on the payroll offset opportunity or an opportunity to evaluate your credit under two separate methods to make sure that you're maximizing your credits. And in addition to federal benefits, I know, Chris, you and I work together on so many states, and I want to say 30, close to 36 states offer R&D tax credits. Um, so certain states have more valuable credits for startup tech companies, such as Virginia with refundable credits or Georgia, when they can utilize to offset state payroll tax payroll taxes. 
So those are definitely something to look out for. Um, for companies and startup companies that are kind of setting up their day-to-day -day operations, there's definitely things that they should also be considering if they want to claim the R&D tax credit. So some of the areas are around contract negotiations. Because the R&D tax credit requires taxpayers to retain the financial risks and have the development rights to the R&D, it's important that in contract negotiations that you set up, if it makes sense for the business, um, terms and conditions that would benefit you in the R&D world. And also, if there's time tracking data or, you know, timekeeping systems that you guys are evaluating, definitely get one of us in and kind of talk high level as to how best to set that up so it can enable you to create contemporaneous documentation or create contemporaneous linkage and establish that nexus between qualifying activities and qualifying dollars. And then lastly, the government in the event of an audit would most likely ask for contemporaneous documentation, which is really supporting documentation that shows how your activities, how your expenses meet the four part test and the qualification criteria. So it's always good to kind of keep them handy, file them away as you see them and make sure that you keep it in an organized manner so that in the event of an audit or if you want to get someone to look at your R&D tax credit, it's all readily available there. And, and Vivian, there, there's so many important things that you that you said there. I mean, the, the the part about you know thinking about your contracts and who the end you know owner developer is, that's an, very important. And then and then the second thing that I think is the most important that that I want to make sure people heard here is that what I see a lot is that these these startup companies in the technology industries, which which there's a lot of them, and so a lot of times what I hear from them is that hey we're not making any money we're in losses there's no reason for us to develop a research and development credit and it it drives me crazy i know it probably drives you as crazy as well because the way that the credit works the first five years of your operation and, and really that's not a true statement but the, at least the minimum usually the first five years especially in losses is that you're able to monetize the r d credit even if you're in losses and i think that that's important for for our listeners to take away from this is that just because you're in losses and you're a startup doesn't mean that the government won't you know fund you basically for your first five years and chris i also have to chime in here a bit as well uh, the credits carry forward for 20 years and oftentimes you have to choose which method you will calculate the credit under and that at times needs to be done on a timely filed return and you you may lose that opportunity to Pick the credit that may have benefited you the most by waiting until a time when you when you see taxability coming on the horizon as opposed to doing it more in real time. So there's a lot of incentives to look at it in real time, like the payroll tax um, uh, incentive there, the payroll tax offset. Um, and then also what we're going to talk about in a second is how a lot of new newer startup companies may be coming into taxability much more soon than they think. Yeah, yeah. And that, that that's a great uh, uh segue into our next discussion as well um uh so so marty i think a lot of people too get confused so so let's talk about what what you're just saying there the irc section 174 so that's irc section 174 this is a lapse in law that occurred in 2022 and i know we've gone into detail on this on some some recent podcasts that were issued not too long ago that that our viewers can go back and listen to but but for, for the amount of time that we have left, are you able to kind of expand on that now and talk about yeah. what 174 is and, and what that means to people? Yeah, and it means different things today than it used to. So 174 is not new. It's been around since the 50s. Essentially, 
your research and experimentation expenses, it was a wonderful provision that allowed for flexibility. You really could either uh, currently deduct them or potentially capitalize them depending on which tax planning method made sense for you. Beginning in 22, 2022, companies are and were required to both capitalize their research and experimentation expenses, which includes all of the expenses that go into the research credit in addition to other more indirect expenses beyond that. Uh, and so it's, it's at least as large as your uh, qualified research expenses, but probably a good amount larger than that due to all the indirect expenses that go into that. So with that said, instead of being able to, let's say, for example, currently deduct wages paid to individuals who are performing R&D or potentially supporting R&D, they're no longer currently deductible. They now have to be capitalized and amortized over five years to the extent they're performed in the U.S. and over 15 years to the extent they're performed outside the U.S. And it's just an incredibly onerous change with respect to how you view where your current taxable income may or may not be due to the fact that you can no longer, for, especially for tech companies where they're very R&D heavy, if you can no longer deduct the wages paid to those that are either uh, performing R&D or just doing software development activities, which now all software development is deemed to be a 174 expense, um, it's a massive shift from before, but it also isn't new. It's something that was put into law in 2017, late 2017, to take effect in 22. So um, it shouldn't have caught us by surprise. Everyone, I thought, expected it to be retroactively, uh, I guess, put back to full uh, flexibility with respect to capitalization or, um, or, or deductibility, but it didn't happen. So it's stuck in the law. Who knows what Congress will or won't do? There is bipartisan support to change this, but I don't, uh, I'm sorry, out of the I'm out of the business of guessing when some things may happen in Congress lately. And so I think we're stuck with it right now for 22 and at least 23. Yeah, and, th and that's interesting. So 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 a new company could actually wind up in a taxable position because they're not allowed to deduct their research and development costs is basically what you're saying there. That's correct. Okay. And And uh, one thing I'll say is people tend to think about this in the first year where it is most onerous, where you can only deduct about 10% of your expenses because you, you get a five-year amortization on a mid-year convention. So that's about 10% of your expenses. In the second year, it'll go up to 30. In the third year, it will go up to 50. So it gets less onerous over three years. We're already in the second year of it. Um, it's uh, it's very onerous in the first year. And so planning around that though, I mean, so if you've got 174 costs, I know a lot of people confuse R&D and 174, they are related, but they're not the same thing. But and I know it's not always the case, but for the most part, if you do have 174 costs that we're having to add back and it is creating taxable income, the tax planning there is that you should also likely have R&D tax credits to offset any impact there. Yeah, the, the R&D credits are more valuable than they ever have been before. They no longer need to be tax affected. So you get the full statutory rate. Um, it is also, there's some planning that you can do as well. So as I was mentioning, for example, um, Software development is treated as a 174 expense, but you need to go into and see what is true development versus what is maintenance versus what is configuration versus what may be a service provided on behalf of someone else. Um, secondarily, if you're a company that is acquiring a piece of software as opposed to developing that piece of software, the development is uh, amortized, capitalized and amortized, where the acquisition of a software platform is not. So you may be able to structure a contract in a way 
that is a little more beneficial to you. Um, the also most important thing here is that, yes, as Chris was saying, the R&D credit is more beneficial than ever. Companies may be coming out of losses more quickly, um, but just because you claim an R&D credit, um, that's not what trips you into 174. It's not elective, it's automatic. So if, if you're performing any kind of research and experimentation, um, you need to capitalize and amortize. A lot of companies came to the conclusion early and erroneously that if they weren't claiming a research credit, then they wouldn't have the 174 cost. Technically, that's not true. It really is activity-based. If you are performing activities where there is some amount of technical uncertainty from an engineering computer science perspective or just doing software development, it's automatically 174. So then you should definitely take a look at that research credit and see how you can offset the um, negative effects from a tax perspective of that capitalization. Right. And, and and so my biggest takeaway from this, and, and I think our listeners too, is especially for a startup company, um, you, you, we need to look into this contact, one of the, one of the people on this podcast and, 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 and look into R&D tax credits on the 174 because um, things are not what they were before. The, the playing field has changed and, and there's a lot of opportunity and also landmines that can be avoided or obtained. Yeah, I think a lot of companies think that the more they look at it, they may find more R&D, which has to be capitalized. In my experience, um, honestly, the more we can get more granular data to not capitalize and understand why things are not associated with R&D, the better we can put a company in the position of not having to capitalize and advertise, and then also maximize the research credit at the same time. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you very much, Vivian, um, Melinda, and Marty. Uh, Glad that you were able to join today. To our listeners, we hope you found this valuable and can consider how some of these cash savings relate to your company. As always, our team is here to help, so please reach out anytime and we'd be happy to continue the conversation. You can find our contact information uh, for any one of the speakers at cbh.com. That's cbh.com. To stay up to, up to date on the latest accounting trends affecting technology companies, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Thank you again for tuning in.